Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. It's Monday, August 14th. I'm your host, Stephen Overley. The Supreme Court decision to strike down college affirmative action programs is turning tech companies and their own diversity efforts into political targets. That's because Republican attorneys general are threatening to sue corporations like Microsoft, Apple, and Google over programs to recruit and hire from underrepresented races. And in a sign of what's to come, a venture capital firm that backs startups with black female founders was recently sued for discrimination by the same conservative activist who brought the SCOTUS case. Now, tech is not alone here, but as you'll hear in today's show, the consequences are unique. Racial bias at tech companies can get baked into their products and algorithms, which nowadays touch all aspects of our lives, from policing to housing to employment. To break all of this down, I reached out to Nicole Turner-Lee. She's the director of the Center for Technology Innovation at the Brookings Institution and an expert in the tech industry's challenges with equitable access and civil rights. This fight for racial equality in tech, she's been in it for two decades. We're at an age where the technology is so generally purpose that it's particularly important that we are debiasing these technologies by having diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. It's been very interesting over the last few weeks. And really, after, you know, the heat sort of died down on the murder of George Floyd, that we've seen companies across the U.S. pull back on DEI efforts as if it doesn't matter. And I think that that's really strikingly disturbing, right? Because diversity, equity, and inclusion should be, by this time, the fabric of any corporation that wants to exercise responsibility, uh, you know, not not only socially, but send a message that we care about all of our consumers, regardless of who they are. And so as tech companies sort of dominate this space of communications, it's particularly imperative that they're mindful that their actions matter. And we have fought a long, hard battle for representation in tech companies just in the C-suite, okay, when it comes to executives who are making decisions around their products and their audiences. And so we expect that same time type of responsibility when it comes to maintaining employees, not just in the HR space, folks, where they're actually doing the hiring, but in the engineering capacities or in capacities where they're doing product development, marketing, where they're leading work teams, where they're doing some of the red teaming, right, on artificial intelligence products. Our country needs to reflect that diversity because at the end of the day, not only is it good for the company's um, visible profile, but it also ensures that we're developing products that do not have unintended consequences, that place people on the other side of digital opportunity, and more importantly, uh, encroach upon their civil and human rights. What are those sort of disparities or, or the risks at play when these tech workforces are not diverse and not re representative of the actual user base for these products, whether it's social media, mobile, AI, you know, you name it. Yeah, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples. In fact, I'll give you a very innocuous one without endorsing any product, service, or movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I recently did on social media, there's like some kind of like a game where you actually 
are assigned your profile sort of it, it scans your profile to determine what type of Barbie doll you are. And so I did this uh, algorithmic uh, tool or game or exercise, whatever you want to call it. And it turns out that the only Barbies that fit my profile were white, uh, very slim <laughs> and uh, definitely not representative of my facial features, my hair texture or my body type. My point is we have been dealing with the same type of issues when it comes to algorithmic misrepresentation for years, uh, starting with when we had one particular uh, company uh, meta tag uh, African-Americans as primates, a, a group that I belong to as a person of color. And my point is, you know, those kinds of mistakes have happened clearly, you know, since the inception of these technologies, primarily because of people who are at the table. Because there's no one at the table who represents the inclusive view of what those subjects look like. There's no one that looks like me that can speak to my hair texture. There may be no one who speaks to, you know, some of the characteristics of my face. We continue to see these types of mistakes in this case sometimes innocuous, like whether or not I'm, you know, a certain type of Barbie doll to others that have very consequential outcomes, like Robert Williams in Detroit being picked up because of the misapplication of facial recognition technology on a very grainy photo that was obscured by a hat, which led to his arrest in six hours of detention and legal expenses that he had to pay to be able to show that he was not that particular suspect. Without sounding like a preacher, Steve, my point is there is still space for DEI. And I worry that we're letting companies off the hook and hiring in some of those positions that, yes, are still needed around people. But we're also letting them off the hook when we reduce attention to these initiatives on where we fit in the marketing, product development, design um, and other teams where some of these products are implicated. You can preach to me anytime, Nicole. Uh, I, I, I love to come to the, the sermon of uh, Dr. Turner Lee. Um, well, uh, you know, actually, with that in mind, there's an excerpt from this letter that Republican attorneys general sent to companies. I wanted you to weigh in on quickly. It says, social mobility is essential for long-term viability of a democracy, and our leading institutions should continue to provide opportunities to underprivileged Americans. Race, though, is a poor proxy for what is fundamentally a class distinction. But what I hear you saying is that when it comes to tech and, you know, the r racial representation, having people of color, people from the um, different diverse communities at the table really does matter. It's not just a class distinction that we're talking about here. It is no coincidence that in the Republican letter, there is a divergence away from race as a proxy for the type of discriminatory actions that we can see in these models. We are seeing in this country right now, this uh, uh, reversal of affirmative action programs that have significant impact on structurally changing the landscape of participation. And let me tell you why it's very um, scary to think that interpreting difference without using race as a variable and depending on class as the main indicator is worrisome. And I'll tell you as a sociologist why. First and foremost, we have to think about the heterogeneity of communities. 
in response to the letter about underprivileged uh, people and not necessarily using race as a proxy, first and foremost, you don't have to be underprivileged in this country to be racially discriminated against. Um, you can actually have the same assets and wealth. And we've seen that on constant occasions of everyday individuals who work just as hard as everybody else to make a living being kicked out of you know establishments or not served or having really awful notes written on their receipts as workers, you know, with words that we do not publicly say, but we privately support in particular circumstances. And so I think that's something that's a misnomer among people that having affirmative action is not necessarily just to make sure that we level the playing field for the economically challenged. It's to level the playing field for everybody. So let me just put that out there. The second thing is, Race has historically been used as a proxy to develop the systems that we have today when it comes to sources of power and how power affects people. Because this country has been built off of trauma, trauma that used race as a proxy to develop the institutions in which technology sits and rests and gets comfortable. My point is, Steve, we need to ensure when we are thinking about critical quality of life outcomes that determine social mobility, such as being able to access credit to buy a home, to have access to consumer purchases. Latanya Sweeney at Harvard University told us decades ago that there are algorithms, even if they don't know your race, use the sounding of your name, Jose, Shaquita, to determine your race and use that as a proxy to deny you credit or to offer higher interest predatory loans. We have found out that in the appraisal business physically, that people tend to get lower appraisals, uh, particularly people of color who live in the same neighborhood as income similar whites. And we see that technology, even though it's blind, does even worse on those appraisals because it can pick up zip code and property value and it can actually mine the internet to get other traits in your digital profile. My point is we need to have a serious conversation around, again, what diversity, equity, and inclusion looks like, not just from the HR side only. We need people at that table so that we can effectuate change and have much more inclusive products. We are now at a state where our Supreme Court is suggesting that, you know, we not use race uh, proxies to determine whether or not a person should have competitive entrance into a school, which has traditionally been excluded them, right, because of other variables of educational inequality, where schools people go to, where they grew up, whether they were the first to go to college. All of these are intersectional characteristics. But my point is We've not asked ourselves, and I've been thinking about this, Steve, how is that going to affect the next generation of inclusive engineers? We have in this country a problem of educational inequality that lends itself to lower numbers of students of color, poor students, rural students getting engineering degrees. And now we have a situation where we may not even be able to fill our vacant jobs because we've set this system up where they may not be able to go to competitive schools, which represent the lay of the land for many of these tech companies. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives 
creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. You know, you, you've spoken about the battle for diversity in tech, and I wonder how much harder does that battle get now that companies are being put in kind of the middle of this political fight? Because, I, you know, if there's one thing I know from covering tech companies for many years, the place they hate most to be is sort of in the center of some highly politicized battle. But it seems like that's really where they're ending up. What's scary is that we're still having these similar conversations. We've made some progress when it comes to board diversity and chief executive officers, but not enough. We still have a handful of very powerful tech companies, and we have a handful of powerful tech companies that continue to enter this space that are predominantly, like you said earlier, run by white males. You know, I'm I'm working on a piece right now that hopefully people will read. It's called Hidden Figures, Black Women in AI. And it's just speaking about, you know, the fact that it took Katherine Johnson until she was 100 for people to recognize how instrumental she was in getting a man to the moon. And the same thing we see happening in the technology space, particularly in AI, these conversations are generative AI. It is very important for Congress to stand up this issue, particularly at a time where there, we're seeing these investments and a lot of confusion and clarity needed on regulation potentially or voluntary commitments. So the best time to do it is now. And so again, if companies feel that not having diverse representation around the table, whether it be people of color, women, people from the LGBTQ community, uh, uh, people who come with uh, academic perspectives that are not necessarily represented in the technology sectors, in my opinion, they're the ones losing out and they will face greater reputational risk in the long term. And so I love that you had me on for this conversation because not only is this an important aspect of my work at Brookings, this intersection of technology, society, and social justice, but it really speaks volumes to how we think about this current regulatory debate we're having and the role of preserving civil and human rights in the process. I appreciate you joining us on the, the Tech Podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. And, um, you know, for those of you who want to keep fighting this fight, come find us. Find me over at Brookings. I'm still there, Steve, working on this stuff. Um, so thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Politico Tech today. Is your tech company changing up diversity initiatives in the wake of the SCOTUS ruling? Tell us about it at techpodcastpolitico.com. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overley, and I'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>